Oh my god. Finally, right. finally. Okay, we're back. We're back. The we're back. We're back in town. Yep, yep. To all those who are uh, in that very, very cold vortex, um, our thoughts are with you in our nice 70 degree weather here in Arizona. So yes, our thoughts and prayers readings. are with you for all that's worth. <laughs> no, we feel really bad. You guys yeah, be no safe doubt. out there. Yeah, be safe. I heard Stay warm. there was no beer delivery. I heard that stops. You know, shit got real. Yeah, that's a travesty. Hopefully you guys have barrels of whiskey, though. I'm just saying. Okie dokie. Well, at least I'd survive, so. <laughs> Keep you warm. Right? There's never any sort of lack of, of alcohol at my house, so I may starve to death, but I'm going to feel better doing it because I'll be a little drunk. Well, you can survive the off the calories. <laughs> there you go. But guess what? What's that, my dear? We're not drinking tonight, right? Nope. We are doing dry tonight. Yeah. I was a little bit sick this week, and so I would prefer not to drink. With our topic, it's better that we're not. Yeah, we're a little bit more sober tonight. Yeah. It's a sobering topic that it's we're It's a sobering with. topic, exactly. So, But before oh. we start our sobering topic, just to show you my age and my frustration with life and not wanting to deal with anything else giving me any more anxiety. So I bought these shoes. Little uh-huh. Nike shoes. Tell me, tell me. Wear them. Wear them all the okay. time. Back and forth to work. Literally from my car to my desk, car to my desk. So... <laughs> From your car to your desk. Girl, you know I have a big tennis shoe fetish. Not like I'm going to spend $1,000 on a pair of shoes, but I like different pairs of Nikes. Anyhow, so I have work Nikes. You're a collector. We've established this fact. Ish. I'm a very cheap collector-ish of shoes, but it's fine. You're a collector of things. What? I've never heard this before. This is a shock. (laughs) This is my shock face. You're looking at my shock face right now. You want to know what else she collects? Workout outfits. (laughs) I do. I've never seen such a big collection of workout outfits. I have like 80 some odd pairs of yoga pants and I actually went through them. So I got to bring some to you. Yeehaw. Anyways, I have my Nikes. I get frustrated with them because they have the habit of the laces just coming untied every goddamn day. So I'm old as fuck. I'm tired of looking down at my shoe and having the anxiety of being like, fuck, now I got to bend over and now I got to sit there and tie it. Blah, 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 blah. So and then one of them has a knot. Huh? What? <laughs> you should get Velcro shoes. Right, I'm saying. <laughs> or Crocs. It's time for Crocs. Oh, God, no. So anyway, that's still going to be stylish in my old age. But anyhow, I was just so frustrated. And then one of them is in a knot. And so I haven't even taken the time to even unknot it. I just keep tying over it. So today, in just my absolute irritation with these damn laces, I just cut the laces off at the top of that knot so I don't have to worry about them being unlaced ever again. So you just slip your feet into your shoe. yes. It saves me a lot of anxiety. I'm just saying. You're hilarious. It's the little things, Zama. We all want to shave the top off of any sort of anxiety. It's it's unnecessary. Just cut the goddamn laces off. I'm just saying, get the, Velcro. The struggle is real. <laughs> I'm not ready for Velcro yet, Alma. Nor Crocs. Oh <laughs> I know it's a matter gosh. of time, but right now is just not it. So we just came off of uh, our podcast last week with Philip Duke. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Had we a did. great time. Hope You're you listening. Guys enjoyed that. Thank you, Philip, for coming on. It was a blast. Definitely. Anyway, so we talked about having like at the first of the month we're going to start doing these either missing persons or cold cases more awareness more yeah just bringing awareness to different cases and i had this bright idea well before we start that though i'm yvette i'm alma and this is tipsy tales 
tales, guys. Actually, not so tipsy tales today. No, it's more like sober tales, but eh. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine, fine, fine. We'll it's a dry day. We don't want to be slurring. <laughs> nope. I already like slur to begin with, so yeah. It's a drawl. <laughs> it's an Arizona drawl. I- no. <laughs> it's, no. <laughs> Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from Cash It's a cash and draw. Yes. I saw the funniest meme. God, let's see if I can remember it. I was scrolling through it last night and I burst out laughing. And it was, um, I think it's like Latinos with, a- with Attitude on, on Instagram or whatever. And I scrolled through it and it said, some of y'all never have had to take a cold shower in Mexico. And it shows. And I burst out laughing. And I looked at Talia and I'm like, you've never had to take a cold shower in Mexico. I said, and it shows. She's like, neither of you. And I'm like, I'm from Cashin. It's like a hop, skip and a jump away. So... <laughs> <laughs> and I've had to take cold showers and she just sat there and put pursed her lips together she's like Mm-mm. she goes never hot no cold showers for me I am fine first world problems Talia I'm right there with you <laughs> that is Talia if you ever listen to our podcast she doesn't that's fine <laughs> it's alright neither does mine <laughs> so anyways yeah we, we picked this subject, murdered and missing indigenous women, yes. Native American women um, across the United States. And I feel like as we delved into this more and more, we were seeing that this is much bigger than we could ever imagine. I, I didn't actually realize it till I started um, researching it, that I it's huge. It's something that's more than I could, I could spend easily a week researching every little thing. And it's just it's a lot. Though. Right. If if not more than a week. Yeah. Yeah. So. Instead of just highlighting uh, one or two murdered cases. or missing cases, we're we're gonna actually like encompass the whole the whole problem itself and talk about that. We'll also have a couple of cases here and there, but hopefully we do this um, topic justice. Definitely. Um, just I copied and pasted in case I get anything wrong. I apologize in advance, <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> but I tried my best. My right. best this is. Where do we even start? I figure we start in statistics, just yeah. basic statistics. Statistics. Wow, that's going to be a struggle for me. And mind you, I am not drinking. Okay. Where do you want to start off, Alma? Well, just how big the Native community is, like in relation to all other communities in the United States, they're literally like 4% of the population. And it turns out that disproportionately, they are more than 7% of missing and murdered cases. That's right there. That's concerning. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And that's kind of what I had as well. Um, I have a bunch of different references. So for me, I took it from USA um, Really.com, The Guardian, Indian Law, Vice, News Maven, a couple of other sites as well. Right. Um, yeah, that's actually what I'm seeing too. They're saying four out of five are um, Native American women are expected to encounter um, violence in their lifetime. One in three are raped in their lifetime. This actually is from IndianLaw.org. They, they were talking about that um, in some U.S. counties composed primarily of Native American lands, uh, murder rates in these uh, areas are up to 10 times higher than the national average, which is just blows my mind. I agree. I totally agree. They're also saying that there's no actual real-time data actually detailing with the rates of missing um, and murdered indigenous women yeah. simply That's because they don't problem. have... There, there's so many different databases. Um, well, first of all, they have a hard time even reporting the crimes, but right. they have, like, FBI has their own database. Um, the state that they're in has their own database. The county themselves has their own database. And then even the Indian Reservation has their own database, and none of it actually comes together. Right. So crazy. And, and talking about the databases... Um, 
um, we were just talking about this, Anita Lucchesi or Lucchesi. Yeah. She's a doctoral student at the University of Lethbridge in Canada, um, but she's actually from the United States. Okay. I think she's from California. But she, when she was doing her master's thesis, she was looking for information out there and she was running into the fact that all these statistics that she was running into, nobody had the right number. Nobody's numbers were matching up. So she took on putting together a database and there's a, there's also yeah like no I had actually read a little bit about her as well and there's actually if anybody get a ch- gets a chance there's actually um it's on YouTube it's called Between the Lines and it kind of goes over her experience in regards to trying to put this database together and in regard and with the map and everything else so if you guys get a chance go take a look at that it's called Between the Lines by that by that same Lucchesi how do you say her name Anita Lucchesi Anita Lucchesi yeah so if you get a chance look at that as well for some additional information right so anyways like I was saying um, back when she was working on her thesis she ran into all these issues Um, she discovered that even if local police filed a report in many cases that information never made it to the FBI's crime database that's with all the research it's kind of very much the same in regards to um, those type of things as well the National Center for Injury Prevention and Control say that between 10 and 24 year old homicide is one is a third leading cause of death for American Indians and Alaskan natives as well and just to put this out there because we know that violence against women is like it's an issue in the United States it's an issue everywhere and we're just going to highlight this particular which I think it does need to be highlighted I mean I, I, I take I totally understand that you know just domestic violence in general any sort of crime against women needs to be highlighted in general but this is seems like it's been um, ignored for so long and that's the whole reason for us doing right. this podcast and it's not it's, and this the whole indigenous women thing it, it's not just the United States I mean this is in Canada right this is in Mexico this is the South America, this is all over wherever there are indigenous people, you're running into these kind of things. But the thing that is particular to us is because we have the whole reservation and the the fact that tribal police and whatever county or state that they're in, the police, there's like no communication, no communication between those entities. No, I I totally agree with you. And I think that's um, another thing. (laughs) What are you smiling for? Because I'm like, my thought just went, sorry. (laughs) Um, they're also saying that about 46% of Native American women have um, reported being raped, beaten, or stalked by an intimate partner. As reports by Rewire News, uh, nearly every Native American family has a story of a female relative who has gone missing or has been murdered. 2007 review of probation records from North Minneapolis found that 24% of women charged with prostitution in that area were Native American, yet they only, they're only only 2.2% of the population. I right. think that's kind of what you were talking about as well. Right. It's, it's totally disproportionate. Um, also, the National Crime Information Center reports that in 2016, there were 5,712 reports of missing American Indian and Alaska Native women and girls, though the U.S. Department of Justice Federal Missing Persons database, uh, NAMUS, N-A-M-U-S, only logged 116 cases. I saw that. I was just floored when I heard that. I was, I, I honestly was just floored with those numbers so being so disproportionate. It's, it's heartbreaking. It honestly is heartbreaking that they're not getting any sort of justice. Who, who do they even turn to? In exactly. all honesty, I mean, it, it's heartbreaking. It really, really is. It, it's something that it's been, I can't, well, it just, it just breaks my heart. I know. And, you know, like this kind of this is part of the reason why I wanted to do these missing and um, cold cases, not not this in general, but just right. like 
all of these is because, you know, when we were doing that, um, when we did the Missy Avila case and there was another case that we had done, that was really like, those affected me a lot right. because, and I know they affected you too, because being moms and having girls around that having age, girls around that we age, can relate to that. Yeah, exactly. So honestly, like when I was listening to so many of these, I just wanted to turn off that empathy gene because... I was listening to a lot of these either at work or on my way to work. Mm -hmm. A lot of the either the podcasts or listening to some of the YouTube videos. And it's just heartbreaking. It really, it really, really is. Just to hear these cases. It's a travesty in all honesty. It's, it's, there's just no other word we can actually say and how disappointed that as women, um, knowing that this has gone for so long without any sort of justice for them and for nowhere for their, for them to turn. I I just, you know, and even as a minority group, um, as they consider them, that's even worse. You know right. what I mean? It, I mean, we thought that we had it bad, but we don't have it nearly as bad right. as them. And, and again, they're caught up in a bunch of red tape that there's, again, there's just no one that they could actually turn to. On that note, though, with the um, the um with what you were mentioning about the National Crime Information Center, there's a, sen- a Senator Heidi Kitekamp, a Democrat from North Dakota, also says that those numbers um, in regards to being women being victimized are probably much, much larger because a lot of them just do not report right. that whatsoever. And that's what they were finding, um, Anita. Lucasi, when she was doing her um, working on her da- database, uh-huh. she she was finding there's huge discrepancies, and so there's probably more out there that have not been logged anywhere. And I know our main focus is actually on women as well, but there all also is a very big injustice against the Native American men as well. They're saying that um, they're far more likely to actually have been have to experience any sort of physical assault, um, and those who have been subjected to any sort of violence are more likely to go missing or to be uh, murdered. That is, so just to kind of bring that up, even though I know we're, our main focus is on the women, right. uh, no, they're, no, they're still big. The, ma- the male Native American men are also still victims right. as well. Absolutely. And it's like a huge black hole. Yeah. And speaking of black holes, so like I was doing some of the research on North Dakota and uh, I think it's like Northern Montana, like in the Bakken region there, right. it's 500,000 acres and it's where they're um, doing all the fracking and the oil and in the past few years, it's because um, all the workers the influx of workers that are coming in there there's a huge problem definitely definitely, there as well definitely. and so I, I know we have a few cases f- just from that area yeah so let's talk about North Dakota and the Bakken's so the problem is particularly acute in the 200,000 square mile Bakken region that straddles the Montana North Dakota state line yeah they're saying that because of the transient work um, oil workers flowing into temporary housing units called man camps on there have um, have substantially increased the violent crime against the Native um, American women um, in that area. Right. So during the last peak of the production of the Bakken oil formation ending in 2014, there's th- tens of thousands of transient oil workers flowing into these temporary houses calling man camps. And, be- and because they're so close to some of these reservations, there's just no, they're they're going to interact in, with each other in one right. way or well, the and, other. And in a lot of cases, they actually overlap and are in the reservation. Right. That's what I was actually looking at as well. And they said that um, according to the University of South Dakota a study analyzed data from, it says CAWS, C-A-W-S, um, North Dakota, a statewide sexual and domestic violent coalition that um, that area is actually home to the Assiniboine and Sioux Nation of Fort Peck Indian Reservation in Montana and a uh, affiliated Mandan, Hitatsa, Arikara tribes, um, collectively known as the MHA Nation on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation in North Dakota. Because some of those oil workers are on tribal lands, they actually, um, when they commit those crimes, 
they, there's no jurisdiction for the tribal uh, police or the leaders to have any sort of jurisdiction over them. Exactly. Yeah, especially on those uh, living in camps built in indigenous lands, like you were saying, to which the federal government holds the title. Right. So yeah, that's that's one of the biggest problems that they're running into is this whole jurisdictional situation where the tribal police don't have like if it's white on indigenous crime, they can't put them in jail, they can't prosecute them, they can't do anything if it's a white person. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, and that was like kind of one of the biggest the biggest problems with this whole thing um, in regards to going back a little bit to some of the um, laws. Um, back in like 1978, the U.S. Supreme Court called Oliphant versus Susquamish, and I apologize if I'm not saying any of these names correctly, that that case, it actually was def- effectively racializing jurisdiction in America. So the court actually ruled that no tribal government has criminal jurisdiction over non-Native people, which are the ones that are committing the majority of these crimes on these reservations. Um, The case actually stemmed from an incident where Mark David Oliphant, who had been living and working on the reservation, assaulted a tribal police officer. He didn't think he should be accountable because he was white and the Supreme Court agreed with him. Since then, Native people have not been able to prosecute non-Native people on their land at all. Right. That's a huge problem. Definitely. It takes Um, away their sovereignty. And that's part of the issue is that reservations are sovereign entities in themselves. Right. But they can't make their own laws. Right. Which I found, I honestly, I found that appalling. I I just could not even tell you. Um, I mean, aside from the fact that we've already taken everything. I mean, we've stolen their lands. Actually, one of the pictures that I saw, I saw a little girl holding a picture that said, you've already trampled on our lands. Don't trample over our bodies. And And I felt like that was a very, very powerful picture. And that's what's happening. So just to kind of clarify, um, obviously, if a white person, um, or not even just a white person, a non-native person, because I don't want to, you know, you just do that. So if non-native person actually um, rapes a Native American on federal government, um, would have jurisdiction over the crime instead of tribal or state government, as as Alma mentioned. They said that because of that, um, Cheryl Bennett, an Arizona State University professor who studies hate crimes... Um, there's a big reason why um, a lot of these non-native people are actually targeting um, the indigenous people on their lands. Right. Well, and then there's like they're going up there and they're making a lot of money. Um, they're isolated. They're bored. They're drinking a lot. And then another big problem that I read about was that there's a lot of sexual offenders. Right. You know, because there's no a, background checks. There's yeah. there's nothing. And they they're ha- supposed to even like on tribal lands, they are supposed to report. Right. But they're not. No. And there's nobody that are, is holding them accountable. Right. Well, not only that, but they said that um, with some of those um, sexual abuse cases, when they did present them to the FBI or the U.S. attorney offices, that federal prosecutors actually declined, um, declined more than two thirds of them. Right. And that's according to like 2010 government accountable office report in case anybody wants to yeah, look that that's up. That's bullshit. I agree. For me, I feel like they just keep passing passing the buck back and forth through with that red tape because they don't want to have to go that extra effort in order to get these these crimes taken care of and have these people that are probably serial rapers. It's kind of the same. It's Okay, I'm going to go on hold of their soapbox, but right. I'm going to stop right there. With but the rape it's, it's kind of the whole like the thing with the rape kids. It's like right. some people don't give a shit because it doesn't affect them. Us as women, it affects us. And I can't and I just feel like. And the thing is that these are these are daughters. These are mothers. These are somebody's children. 
these are somebody's relative these are somebody's loved ones and and nobody's they're falling through the cracks and it's like nobody cares no i i totally agree and the biggest thing that they're actually talking about as well in regards to reporting these cases that native americans are incarcerated 38 percent more than the national average but um law enforcement is slow to protect native americans super quick to incarcerate them which i think is a bunch of bullshit which is the same thing for yeah. african-americans well they're saying that their statistics are actually higher really mm-hmm. oh i didn't even run across yeah, that that's I crazy actually ran across are you that a couple, yeah so they just have that stigmatism do you know what i mean and right. they they're, they're looked as less than and that's the problem is well, that I'm because just... they're looked they're looked they're looked at less than human i mean that's for lack of anything better i could actually say because i don't know what else behavior would treat i mean it's a literally racism it's it, it, it treat a whole race of, of people a certain way and stereotype them a certain way where they can't i mean they act like they can't even make decisions for themselves i mean there's just there's just so much i'm, right. I'm kind of going off on a whole different tangent but it just ugh. i know it that's, just breaks my heart yeah that's so like when i was talking about um that the reservations are like these black hole because these people go over there and they feel like well they're untouchable i mean yeah. they literally can commit murder and not face any kind of consequences for it no i agree and that's the biggest thing that i was actually looking at um in regards to looking at the oil workers as well um like i said it, it, they they live on their land so inevitably they're going to have uh, be able to have that contact with um the native americans they're saying that a lot of them are committing the majority of these of these crimes so with them being there at those jobs being drunk having extra money not having family around they're actually saying that their rape um, victimization is actually tripled in those areas and then that the problem is is that when all these all these um, oil workers are working there that it fucking completely took the native americans off guard they didn't ex- i mean they didn't expect for the women to constantly be and and again victimized. we don't want to demonize like every oil worker that goes up there right. but it, it's definitely attracting the bad seeds do end up up there and because that there there's these jur- jurisdictional holes and gaps it makes it easier for these the, the bad apples to go up there and see and i agree crimes. that but in all honesty this is the research that's happening i i totally get it not er, just like man bashing i don't like to man bash because right. not every man is bad right. but statistically there's a lot of shitbag men over there working on that oil industry that have been attacking well, and, and victimizing native what's americans been highlighted lately the whole toxic masculinity thing yeah. like it's starting to come into the not into the mainstream but people are talking about it more it's the gillette commercial and everything else like people are it's becoming more um, um, at the it's top coming of our, to the surface yeah coming to the surface and we're talking about it more this whole toxic masculinity thing that leads to the abuses of women i agree i mean it's it's the fact that we're seen less than right and you know oh well it, we've been ignored we've been victimized for so long as women that it, it's okay it's society we have that's why we have a rape that's right. why we have a rape culture because somebody and somebody in the past has have just continued to treat women a certain way right. and now of course that we're having Tash me too, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh well, I don't think you should have to ruin men's lives." You don't know how many lives that has ruined for women being victimized. Right. But and let's feel sorry for some across, drunken action some guy did back in the day. That's that's, that's across ridiculous. the board. That's across the board. Like it's not just an American problem. It's no. not just a Canadian problem. I mean, in Mexico, it's a huge problem. South America, oh, it's a huge yeah. problem. Yeah, it's just like around the world, it's toxic masculinity has like it has to stop. And the same thing, like. 
like anything else festered. is that it's actually it's the, word that I it's the fight for. it's festered they're not they're just honestly it's they're fighting more against it because it, it's the norm and the, right. the change is always going to be hard anytime anybody speaks out regardless of whether it's your gender your race whatever the case may be the norm is always going to get aggressive back. and get mad and angry and so and on defensive. and so forth yeah. because it's the norm right so penny who's it <laughs> yeah we just saw uh... Hold on. Let, let's step down from our soapbox real quick. All right. Just a little bit, though. So same thing with that. Um, Anita Lucchesi, she actually mentioned that um, she quoted that we live in a society where portrayals of indigenous women are often as victims of violence or hypose- or hypersexualized. Um, when the rest of the country only thinks of a native woman in those ways, it's easy to see us in real life as women to be taken advantage of and to be victims. She also mentions that she was once raped by a non-indigenous man who made comments about her looking like Pocahontas. Um, she says we, we looked nothing alike and then she also recalled that um, another experience walking through Spokane, Washington on her way back from a concert that with her friends that she was confronted by a white man who insisted on paying for sex. She's like, thank God my friend had a baseball bat in the car. He was following us, screaming at us, offering us 50 bucks each and said that's a lot for you Indian girls. You're not even worth that much. And that's all based on a typical stereotype of Native American women. That's just awful. <sighs> Um, I also read in another uh, part of it that um, Native American, because of looks, can be viewed as more exotic, uh, more Asian, and apparently is a higher market for women than of Asian descent. Which I guess looking in the internet, that's actually what they were pulling, that they, they're actually more, for sex trafficking, right. they're actually more desired right? because of that hypersexual yeah, and that's Lies a whole other thing is the sex trafficking. So there's this report she helped on along with UIHI.org, the Urban Indian Health Institute. They collaborated together with her database and they talked about like part of their findings was the way Native American women, um, these cases are discussed in the news. Right. They're not. Well, and when they are, for the purposes of this analysis, um, UIHI defined violent, th- I'm taking this right out of their report, right. um, violent language as language that engages in racism or misogyny or racial stereotyping including references to drugs alcohol sex work gang violence criminal history victim blaming making excuses for the perpetrator misgendering transgender victims racial misclassification false information on cases not naming the victim and publishing images video of the victim's death of the articles analyzed 46 media outlets had violent language in their coverage representing nearly a third of all outlets surveyed 31 percent 36 media outlets 25 percent used violent language in 50 percent or more of the cases that they covered and 22 um 15 percent used violent language in 100 percent of the cases they covered um and some of these cases the way the media covers it the language that's used to describe the crime and the victim often causes additional harm so it's just it's the way the media talks use. about these women it marginalizes them even further i was actually reading one of the articles from vice and there was an interview with amy castleman uh-huh. who actually um she she has a book called Injustice in Indian Country, Jurisdiction, American Law, and Sexual Violence Against Native Women. So she actually mentions that um, tribal police on the reservations will tell, uh, will, t- will t- told her that they see, they could see a white person stealing something from the store right in front of them. And their only avenue they have is to seek justice, um, is to forward it to the U.S. attorney. Well, the FBA is not going to come over they there to track some that. guy down about yeah. because he stole a carton of cigarettes right. or a candy or whatever the case may be. And that case, Oliphant and um, 
Suquamish uh, created a mass a, a massive jurisdictional void. So now um, Indian country is the only place where race becomes um, an issue when it comes when, when it comes to um, actually criminally prosecuting any of these people. Um, they say that, of course, um, criminal justice in the United States is very racialized, um, and there's no law that directly states if you're black, you're going to get a harsher sentence. Um, it's not actually written into law, but because of this Oliphant um, case, the law literally says if you're white, you cannot be prosecuted by tribal governments and the most local and effective criminal justice in Indian country, which I find just fucking amazing. Yeah, that's just... Uh... So um, with that being said, there the same Amy Castleman, the one who was talking to Vice, actually um she is a former caseworker for the washoe tribe of california and nevada and like i said she is coming out with the book again that book's name injustice in indian country jurisdiction american law and sexual violence against native american women the quote um which i thought this quote really just kind of broke my heart she actually quotes a native journalist mary annette pember who um, responds to the statistics that one in three Native women will be raped in their lifetime. And she says, the quote is, I and all Indian women want to know um, whoever those other two women who have not been assaulted because we've never met them. The truth is, it's been open season on Indian women for a very, very long time. Very, very long And I thought time. that was, I thought that was, when I read that, I just felt that, I thought it was really, really sad because they're in the front lines of it. Right. We can come up with all these statistics, but in reality, how, how good are those numbers considering that half of them don't report them because whether it be the Native police or or anything beyond that, just don't believe them because they have this stereotype of oh, they were drinking, they were drunk, right. um, they were partying, or oh, whatever the case may be. That's just sad. Um, I, I did, uh, I was reading somewhere and I didn't write this down. It was a story of this mother who took her, it was a doctor telling the story of this mother that took her daughter in and wanted to get her on the pill for when she gets raped. I actually did Not actually have that right. If she gets down. raped. Yeah. When, when she gets When she does. That and that's... That's awful. And in these Native American communities, the fact that everybody knows somebody that has been a victim of violence, uh, murder, rape, and so many other different issues, everybody knows somebody. Right. And the biggest problem with that is because of their experience having reported it and nothing being done, a lot of them just don't report it anymore. It, that's what it's come down to. It, 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 they just don't report it anymore because they have such a bad experience. Either they don't want to take the report because, again, that same stereotypical as, oh, they're just drinking drinking, older, drunk, blah, blah, blah. Um, and sometimes, um, like I said, so they have a hard time even getting it reported. It'll be a couple days of just them begging for them to actually report something missing. And then if it has to go anything further than the initial, their initial, do just, you well, know, there's what do the they law. tell you? You have 48 hours to get so much information, to talk to all these people so that you, and, and that's all lost because you can't even get them lost. to do a report. Right. It's, it's amazing. I was actually, um, with the same Amo Castleman that I was mentioning earlier, she actually was doing, she was doing her research for her book. She said, that reservations became hunting grounds um, and that she would actually go into different dark corners of the internet and find chat rooms where rapists and pedophiles would talk to each other about how to commit crimes. Um, One forum was called How to Rape a Woman and Get Away With It. Something that repeatedly came up was suggesting that if you're not a native person, you should specifically target native people on reservations because you could do whatever you want there. Um, A tribal police officer could even be present and they could not even and they can't touch you they couldn't do anything and so that creates a lot of different crimes um drug production drug trafficking human trafficking but the people who disproportionately feel this is a sense of uh, predation on native americans so um they said sexual assault
assault in the U.S. is already overwhelming, that it's actually worse in the reservations because of sites like this, because of of the of the red tape that goes along with reporting and actually somebody being convicted of any of these crimes. It's just depressing. That was the problem that I was having. <laughs> I agree. I feel the same way. It was like the further you went in, the more depressing it got. Yeah, I, I, I totally 100% agree. Yeah, and like I was mentioning earlier um, with the other stuff that I was reading that when they would try to, um, there's a, just that underlying disdain for um, Native Americans when they did try to report some of these um, missing um, members of their family, they got quotes like, she's probably just out there drinking somewhere, maybe afraid to come home. You know, that, that there was even one instance where um, a lady was trying to report her daughter missing in Northern um, Cheyenne Indian Reservation um, in 2000. 2013 um and that they that she kept on going back and forth with them um and they but they dismissed her concerns insisting that her daughter was likely out drinking during the fourth of july holiday um it was her and her friend who were actually missing and they were later actually found murdered they 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 kind of feel like native native women are often not seen as worthy of victims and they actually have to prove their innocence that we weren't drunk route partying which i'm just like i'm fucking like what the fuck that falls on a lot of women not not just native women right but probably but i think there is that stigmatism yeah, behind no, that is. unfortunately and is. so when they say you know they that it's just awful that they have that they're having a hard time just even reporting a crime right so um yeah and that's what kind of to kind of touch on what you said earlier the director of native of women's society of great plains said um we should never have a woman come into the office saying i need to learn more about plan b for when my daughter gets raped right i think that's awful um there's also Sharon um, Astaboyer, a woman health advocate at the Yankton Sioux Reservation in, in South Dakota, um, referring to the morning um, after pill that when she heard that it was just extremely, it was just, it was horrifying. It was, her quote was, um, that's what's so frightening that it's more expected than unexpected. Right. And this has become the norm for some right. of these young women. Really sad. Um, talking about, I keep going back to this database for uh-huh. the missing and murdered indigenous women that uh, Anita Lucchesi put together. Um, she's currently logged about three three hundred thousand cases okay some reaching as far back as 1900 um the database also includes information that may be missing from other sources that family and community members have shared with like birth dates and if the woman had children she says that you know you just named some of the experiences that she has but she says this is a personal for her um she's a southern cheyenne descendant and a survivor of domestic violence and she feels she too could have been among the women listed in the database um about that uihi report that she um, helped the Urban Indian Institute report. Uh-huh. She said that Abigail Echohawk, the director of UIHI, reached out to her and, you know, they put this thing together. And that report's already made an impact, um, raising awareness of the general to the general public and even influencing policy in the form of Savannah's Act pass, which it's saying passed, but it didn't pass. No, it didn't pass. It actually um, was about to go for a vote right when the um, government closed down. Right. And and actually Murkowski, uh-huh. Senator Murkowski has put it put it back up. OK. So anyways, the impact of this report at the recommendation of the report, the Senate of Indian Affairs Committee committee amended Savannah's Act to ask the federal, tribal, state, and local law enforcement agencies to track and annually report data on missing and murdered Native people, no longer excluding the murdered and missing Indigenous women. It's already like, and she does this, this, she's not being paid for this. Right. She's put this together out of her own blood, sweat, and tears, and it's already having an impact out there. 
But the fact that there was a need that's and that it hasn't been done sooner to take this long to have an impact is just dumbfounding. Um, and then you did mention that the, the law was for um, LaFontaine Gray win, right? Uh, no, I did. I didn't actually get into Savannah's okay. Act. Well, Savannah's Act is actually named um, for um, Savannah LaFontaine Graywin. She is a member. She was a member of the Spirit Lake tribe, who vanished in August um, in Fargo while she was eight months pregnant. Um, 2017. Actually. 2017 yeah. said her body was found eight days later in the Red River, and her actually ba- her baby was actually cut from her womb. Yeah. Oh my God. I read that. And I was just like horrified they did say the baby did survive though okay so this didn't happen actually on a reservation okay that's one of those cases that's outside of the reservation all right but yeah it it spurred them to put this together um heidi heitkamp senator heidi heitkamp and um actually yeah senator murkowski is continuing that for her and and pushing trying to push that through as we speak january 29th murkowski's office provided splinter with the latest version of savannah's act Mm -hmm. it's worth noting murkowski's version includes the grant incentives and publication of complying law enforcement offices that Goodlatte, Senator, actually Representative Goodlatte, attempted to excise from the 2018 version. It looks like um, the new bill that he actually... Yeah, he, I didn't tried actually... To, he tried to take the teeth out of the bill, actually. Okay. Goodlatte, he, he, when they were right before the government shut down, he took a lot of pieces out of it that, you know, really affected law enforcement. And we're going to make law enforcement do their job. Right. Because um, he, he was actually, the... from what I have, he was actually blocking, he was actually blocking yeah, he was. They actually put his name, his phone number, urged um, everybody to call, um, to call him up, and to um, because of this con- this epidemic of missing and murdered Native Americans across the country. Um, but they said his voicemails were constantly full because I'm assuming a lot of people called because that's ridiculous. A lot of people called to tell him f you. Pretty much. So <sighs> um, there's also another um, House bill in Washington, uh, 2951, um, kind of the same thing. The act um, is is wanting to increase services to report obviously report and investigate missing Native American women. It tasks Washington with the creation of a list of missing Native Americans by the state by 2000, by, I'm sorry, by June of 2019. So that was something that I actually noted that as well. And I'm not sure, if, I don't believe that's the same thing as Savannah's bill. I don't believe, at least that's what I thought I read, but actually, I could be wrong. So Savannah's Act, it makes standardized law enforcement and justice protocols that serve as guidelines for law enforcement agencies with respect to missing and murdered Indians. Um, that's their language. Develop protocols to investigate those cases that are guided by the standardized protocols and meet certain requirements to consult with Indian tribes. And also, importantly, provide tribes and law enforcement agencies with training and technical assistance relating to the development and implementation of law enforcement and justice protocols. And also, last but not least, it it requires federal law enforcement agencies that investigate and prosecute crimes related to missing and murdered Native American women that they must modify their law enforcement and justice protocols to comply with the standardized protocols. But like you said, it languished in committee for before finally emerging in November 2018. And that only happened after Sheena Between Lodges, a member of the Oglala Sioux tribe in South Dakota, was beaten into a coma. That is awful. So yeah, it's going to be coming up for a vote again here. So call your Congress people. Let's let's try and get this yep. passed. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So it's also I'm not sure. Have you heard of Chuck Grassley at all? Did you read anything of that uh, in regards to in that? In regards to that, no. Yeah, she said Chuck Grassley, a Republican senator from Iowa, has been one of the most ferocious critics of extending any juris. Juridical 
authority to Native American. He actually spoke at a town meeting in 2013 where he said that on an Indian reservation, the Indian is going to be made up of Indians, so non-Indians don't get a fair trial. It's the exact same argument that people were making in the 1800s, that Native people are incapable of justice and unfair and that non-Native people should never have to submit to these so-called savages backward tribal justice Which system. is bullshit because I, it's I, total bullshit because if you go, okay, an Indian reservation is a sovereign nation. If you go to another country, you have to abide by, by, by their, their laws. I totally agree. And that's what, in response to that, Native Affairs Attorney Ryan, well, I want to butcher up his name and I apologize ahead of time, Devresrak um, stated, unfortunately, certain Republicans are singing the old song of unsophisticated tribal courts and uneducated tribal judges. I say, if you don't trust the ability of tribal courts to be fair and just, just don't go into the reservation and rape women. That's my take. I think it pretty much sums it up. And that's the exact quote from him. Exactly. And that's kind of how I feel. I mean, you can't go. I mean, I know the arrogance of us Americans thinking that we can kind of do whatever we feel like it. But if we go into another country, that's the reason why a lot of Americans get into some trouble because they have their own certain laws. They have their own certain customs. And if you break them, then you're you're going to have to be held to their, um, rule, their rules and their laws. Right. And so I, I totally agree. I mean, they're, it's the same thing being on the reservation. They have their own laws. They have their own. Um, they have their own customs. And I, I agree. I think that if, if you're going to go over there and and, and rape or, or commit any sort of crime, then you should be able to be judged and and prosecuted within their judicial system. Right. Yeah. And and one of the other problems that they run into is that a lot of these um, tribal nations they just don't have the resources because no. they're not allowed to tax. And That's the other thing I was reading about as well. Yeah. So, Isn't that what Savannah's Act actually is talking um, about as well? Because I don't if, know if it was Savannah's Act. But I know there is an act out there. There is another um, piece of legislation out there. It may be Savannah's Act, but I think it's a, maybe uh, For another. some reason, I thought it was when I was reading under the whole thing. I thought it was like they're, they don't understand why um, that one person with a good son or what was good in? Good lot. Good lot uh, was holding it up because it, they said it's not taking any federal money, any right. more federal money away from um, the federal government. It, it's using it's using the same amount of money they're, they're being allotted. So right. um, they have no, they would like, well, I don't understand why he's holding it up. It's not like it's going to be some sort of financial burden on anybody right well we could get into that but <laughs> that's not what this I'm podcast is today my, Alma. all my opinions out of it so yeah um it's just, like i said it's just all so big and it's also depressing um i'm sorry if i'm gonna be um going over some statistics that, that you might have already gone over okay um uh, going back to that uihi um report they identified 506 unique cases of missing and murdered american indian and did you you already did this you read one. actually huh did i yeah and that a report it was only 112 no, no okay the different okay. statistic then maybe no it's a different yeah cases of missing and murdered american indian and alaska native women and girls across the 71 selected cities 128 25 percent were missing persons cases 280 56 percent were murder cases and 98 98 
which was 19%, had an unknown status. Unlike women of every other racial group, Native American women are more likely to be sexually assaulted by people who are not Native American. There was actually um, Chris Stark, and this is a researcher focusing on sex trafficking in the ships of the Duloth port, where all those, um, where there's a connection between like... um, the reservations in places like Bemidji and Duluth and Twin Cities, which is, I guess, an area between Minneapolis and St. Paul, in terms of like uh, trafficking and prostitution um, routes that they're running there. Um, they had mentioned that it's a, it's a huge issue and that um, when um, Native teenage girls are being recruited or even groomed from that Duluth area to go out to Bakken, like I said, like you mentioned earlier with uh, the oil rich and all the tens of thousands of male workers working there, there's a lot of obviously trafficking. They said that most of the time trafficking isn't like the movie version of trafficking where there's a child snatched off in the street it's more like um they've already been violated and used to a certain treatment for so long um from any sort of historical trauma so whether it be a drug addiction they'd have you know any sort of sexual abuse that they don't talk about as communities you know it happens either at board at uh boarding schools when they were trying when they were trying to make native american um children more quote-unquote Americanized when actually they're really all why we're calling Native American is beyond me because in all reality shouldn't they just be called American because they're the original original forefathers (laughs) you know I mean they're they're, not the forefathers but they're they're the original occupants of of this land right okay so yeah so they were saying like because there's such a there's not any of that support system behind any of those abuses um, within their communities or within their family that um, they're they're pretty they're kind of seen vulnerable for perpetrators that are already used to looking right. for those signs. Um, and so they're very easy to victimize. They just say things that they want to hear. I love you. Treat them a little bit nicer. Um, and just kind of hear them and just kind of groom them and just kind of lead the way. In Castleton, North Dakota, Edith uh, Ch- uh, Chavez, 38, of Tower, Minnesota, she was abducted. Um, she suspects that she was drugged for a few days before managing to escape um, from the back of her abductor's car um, when she when he wasn't there. She said she actually ran to the police station in Wilson, um, Williston, North Dakota, where the officers refused to take a statement and instead checked her own record and then arrested her for unpaid traffic tickets dating back to 2011. They detained her overnight in a holding facility before transferring her to a jail in Minoy, um, North Dakota, where a female officer recognized that something was wrong, had Chavez's charges dismissed, and then gave her directions to the closest hospital. What? The worst thing about this is that when they actually called the police department, um, and to issue, you know, to to get their comments, the, the press actually called them. They said that um, Chavez had smelled of alcohol and been, and she had been to a casino. Although there was no logged notes that day or uniform incident reports of her ever being arrested. So, like I said, so there's a lot of there's a lot of that sort of like I said that stigmatism where they're just it's okay to victimize them is 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 kind of what they're putting out there. Right. Kind of this this thing that they've been doing for years is just try to make them less than. I agree. They were talking like they were talking about Robin Fox, who was found dead after going missing. They had said that there was a, if there had been um, an immediate search, they actually may have found her before she died. Um, and that's Vicky Eagleman. I think her sister was actually the one talking in a lot of these um, press releases. Uh huh. Um, she said that she was found um, deceased after 30 days of being missing and nobody would actually take a report. Although they didn't believe her case specifically was actually related to any sort of trafficking. So sad. There was one that I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it as I'm going through some of these that I thought was sad too. Um, they're saying there's a lot of kids who don't get reported that of the victim like survivors 
um, are isolated. They're saying that a lot of these younger kids that are dealing with um, these victims have, if some of these women are being victimized in front of these children, that there's a larger percentage of um, PTSD in regards to um, the kids without any sort of resources for them to get any sort of counseling at all. Um, and then kind of back to like the grooming process that I was mentioning, they said that it happens so often that it just completely goes unreported, um, which complicates a lot of these statistics in regards to, to any sort of real numbers that a lot of these women who have been involved in, in um, just that commercial sex trafficking have had such negative experience with the law enforcement officials that they're less likely to seek help from any sort of police. They're saying that some of the tough conditions of the reservations may be one of the factors pushing women into these trafficking. Um, if you, you know, they're mentioning the, again, the man camps. Um, if you follow the pipeline, you follow construction workers, you follow the money, you follow the oil, you'll start seeing where the, um, where that's there, where the trafficking is actually being is actually following that path. A lot of women that um, say that a lot of these traffic, uh, these being groomed and so on and so forth, that hunger often pushes a lot of these women to accept invitation to these quote-unquote parties on these ships, saying that uh, the parties are presented as a good time with lots of foods and drink, but that women were not always aware that they would be expected to provide sexual services. What's more um, is that they would wake up and they'll be on their way to Thunder Bay in Canada listening to somebody talking about who they're going to sell them too. So they said that um, while they feel like the Duluth um, trafficking on the ships have decreased um, since security was tightened in night, um, you know, obviously with 9-11 happening, right. they they really feel like it hasn't been eliminated completely. And again, like any other crime, they as soon as they feel like they stomp it out, whoever's going to do that or insist it in wanting to commit those crimes are just going to find a different they're way and hide way. it better. Yeah, they're going to find a way. A few more statistics. Top 10 cities with the highest number of, of these cases cases. Seattle, Washington, 45. Albuquerque, New Mexico, 37. Anchorage, Alaska, 31. This was collected from 71 different cities. So um, Tucson, Arizona. Really? 31. Wow. Billings, Montana, 29. Gallup, New Mexico, 25. Tacoma, Washington, 25. Omaha, Nebraska, 24. Salt Lake City, Utah, 24. San Francisco, California, 17. Places you don't even think of. You don't even expect. Yeah, and then the top 10 states with the highest number of um, cases. New Mexico with 78. Wow. I mean, they're right next door to us. No, I know you that you're actually, you lived in New Mexico for a while. Is that because there's a lot of reservations and a lot more oh, yeah, there land is that's not occupied by like houses and cities and all that other there's stuff? There's a lot or? of reservations. Okay. Um, but I, I don't think they have more reservations than we have. Than we do? Okay. Yeah. And guess what? We have 54. Really? That's disgusting. Washington has 71. Alaska has 52, Montana has 41, California 40, Nebraska 33, Utah 24, Minnesota 20, and Oklahoma 18. Wow. Um, along side with your statistics, um, they were saying that after years of pressure to the First Nation groups, um, in 2014, Canada actually released a report that found that 1,017 First Nation women had been murdered and 164 had gone missing between um, the times of 1980 and 2012. That's just crazy. More than, and this is that UIHI study, uh-huh. more than 95% of the cases in the study were never covered by national or international media. And it's just, it's, it's, it's awful because, I mean, had there been more, um, had there been a bigger light 
showing the problem. Uh, had there been a bigger light showing um, shown on that problem, maybe it would have saved a lot more lives and there would have been something that would have been fixed or an act or whatever bill we're trying to pass now would have been done a lot earlier, saved a lot of women's lives, you know, changed a lot of women's lives because, you know, being a victim of anything completely changes your life, not only for you, but your entire family. There's also a Facebook page yeah. that I just wanted to highlight. It's called The Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, USA.org. And if you guys want to go there um, and take a look, they have a lot of um, recent cases, a lot of cases that they're highlighting. I'm going to highlight a few here since we didn't really get to, and we went over a couple, you went over a couple of cases. Right. Everybody can hear my dog, dog barking in the background. <laughs> One of them that's highlighted on here, and it's a recent one that was highlighted actually today. Cindy Martin, last seen December 23rd, 2018 at 9 p.m. in Hazleton, British Columbia. Police and family are seeking public the public's help. Family report, it's out of character for her to be out of contact this long. Was last seen wearing a gray jacket with dark colored jeans, approximately... Uh, 5'3", 170 pounds. Medications required. If you have any information, this one's actually for uh, Canada. Call RCMP 250-842-5244 or Faye Martin at uh, 1-250-882-3067. I know we do have some Canadian listeners out there. I've been watching the stats. And um, here's another one that's closer to home. Brittany Michelle Tiger. This is an unsolved homicide. And it says, please help somebody somewhere knows something. If you have any information regarding this case, and I'm actually going to um, put some pictures up okay. to go along with this. Regarding this case, please contact Ada PD at 580-332-446 or Detective Brian Angle at 580-436-3600, extension 212. And that was for Brittany Michelle Tiger. If you have any information um call those numbers and i'm just going to do one more and this one is much much closer to home um this is rebecca atabo missing from santa fe new mexico actually she was last seen around thanksgiving her family hasn't heard from her um she went missing from the institute of american indian arts reports say she just left school one day and hasn't come back she's from oklahoma city and as a citizen of the kiowa tribe of oklahoma her family is very worried, so if you know anything about her whereabouts, please contact the IAIA campus at 505-424-2300. Any information, somebody somebody out there knows something. See, and it's funny is that going through a lot of these stories that you hear the common, um, the common thread of, you know, the... They were just they they were on their way to school or they were home or they were on their way to the store or and they just never came back and I just find that fascinating that um, not fascinating but I found that disgusting is that so many of them are just missing. I mean, in all reality, I think I also read another um, statistic, if I remember correctly, on one of the websites that there's over 40,000 um, bodies that have been, or bones or remains that have been uncovered that have never been identified. And so kind of, and you know, at this end of the day, it kind of makes you wonder how many, um, how many of those actually belong to some, you know, to these names, they, those bones and those remains have names that they actually belong to these families and they could have some sort of closure and bury them the way that they, they want them to be buried. 
married and to bring them just simply home. So I, I just, like I said, that's the biggest common thread is that they were just going to the store and, and we try to report them and, you know, we had a hard time. They're like, they'll come back, but their purse are, are, are on the floor. They're, they left all their belongings. They're just up and banished. Right. Just into nowhere. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to give the FBI. Um, yeah, definitely. If anybody has any sort of information, um, look at some of these websites. Look at, um, you know, make sure you follow up on Facebook, um, whatever the case be. And if you have any information, please, by all means, make sure you give the, the FBI a call. Right. So their number and, and also put this on the website and also um, we'll probably put something on Instagram. Um, 801-579-1400. That's the FBI tip line. If you guys, if anybody's seen anything, heard anything, if you know anything about any of these cases that we've talked about, yeah, please give the FBI a call or any of the numbers that I listed earlier. All right. I think we're going to call it a night. Yeah, no doubt. So um, thank you everybody for listening. I know this is typically out of our norm. We're usually giggly laughing and um, drunk, but this is something that we felt was important. Um, we felt that it was beyond our regular true crime stories. And it's just our way to make sure there's some sort of awareness to the, um, the so many missing um, and murdered women and that yeah, it needs that's to all we want to do is give just more to get, just get more attention to bring this. awareness. Yeah. Um, it doesn't hurt to bring more more awareness out there to a lot of these definitely. issues. So um, this is um, me and Alma Alma humbly um, trying to just put that information out there. All right. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. This is Yvette. This is Alma signing out. You have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tipsy Tales. Music by Jesse Biscata. Artwork by Sergio Hernandez. And if you're listening on iTunes, please don't forget to rate and review. Thanks.